Colossians chapter number three. Colossians chapter number three. Paul says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual hearts and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let's pray. Amen. All right, so our text is in Colossians chapter number three. He says, you're called in one body. The Lord Jesus Christ has called us together in one body as a church. We've seen that, the mystery of the church and Christ, how the church is a bride of Christ. And we fellowship together. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. There's times when you have to be alone, but God is with you. But it wasn't the way it was set up, other than when you're out working for the Lord, when you, you were to bond together, we're to join together. But the problem is when you get people together in any setting, and I've seen this in, in clubs, and I've seen this in committees and things like that, and it's especially true in church. And you know, it's kind of funny. People forget about all those other things where there's conflict when it comes to church. They say, well, there's just too much arguing. There's too many hypocrites in the church. Uh, Brother Rusty, when he was talking to him Monday night, he said, everybody says there's hypocrites in the church. Well, we got room for one more. <laughs> you know? So, uh, but we join together as a church body in fellowship in the Lord. But the, the problem comes in when people get together, they becomes friction, right? Anytime you get a committee together, I know with my dad's ham club and, uh, you know, you have a young guy that comes in that wants to do a whole lot of things. You got the older guys that have tried a whole lot of things. <laughs> you got a little bit of conflict. You come into the church, it's the same thing. Somebody wants to go running off down the world and set the world on fire. Amen. You got somebody else that's been there a little while. Maybe you got divisions in the family. Maybe you got divisions among friends. So the devil finds all kinds of ways to get involved into the church, and none of it is helpful to the church body. None of it is helpful to your attitude while you're in church. So we want to look at some ways this morning here from Colossians, ways to stay together as a church body, ways to, to fight back against that, keeping together as a church body. So the strongest opposition is from the devil. He knows the power that's in this body if it stays together. We saw this morning with, uh, with the shoe boxes and, and what Matt told us about the church and swing, you know, how they bonded together. This is just an illustration of what a church body can do and, and the idea of reaching one person. But I tell you what, if you fall out of church, if you spin out of church, out of fellowship with the body of Christ, and you get out there in the world, and you meet someone else, how likely are you to witness to them after a while? I don't know about y'all, but 
you get out of church, it's like shipping oars. I always get that. I don't. It's always in my head that illustration about going up river and then cutting the motor, and you just go back down river. If you're not going forward, you're moving back in your own life. By leaving the body of Christ, you don't become a more powerful for Christ. You don't become a, 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 a more powerful witness for Christ, but you become weakened in that sense. So we want to strive to stay together as a church body. Another source of opposition is our own flesh because we're involved with other people in the body. Two people, you know, <laughs> you have to have forgiveness in your heart. I think of the church body as a family. And, and I've known some members before, you just kind of had to, it's like Brother Grady, I always say it, Brother Grady said, you, you, Brother Keith, you just have to love them. Like, do I have to really? I mean, really? Because <laughs> what they said, that wasn't really all that kind. But you know what I found? And this isn't even in the sermon. But what I found in my own life, some of the people that were hurting me, and I remember a pastor's wife uh, had, had, I don't remember the exact situation, but I remember being upset. I remember being pretty mad about it, about something she'd said to my daughter or something like that. But... When I talked to the youth pastor, and then we went and talked to the pastor's wife, and it wasn't to, to jump on her. It was just to say, hey, this hurt. I mean, have you ever just stepped past that, just to say, hey, that hurts? You know, I learned from Dee Dee. She worked in daycare. She taught them them little kids would bite each other or hit each other. She'd always tell them, use your words, you know. Oh, if you got words, you can use them. But a lot of people just get mad and stew. And I tell you what I saw happen in that church. When I went to her and I said, look, this really, you know, this, this, didn't, this didn't fly. Let's just put it like that. She started crying. She felt bad. I don't know what kind of day she'd been having. I don't know what she was trying to do. I know in my own life, when I get up in the morning, I've had to explain to Dee Dee, I got five people telling me what I should have done the day before. And then when you mention something else, it just adds, I'm not mad at you. I'm fighting against myself to get out and get to work without letting all these five people. You all think I'm crazy now. I am. But without, without letting all this get, you never know what kind of day someone's having. You know, so it's using your words. So that's one source of opposition. We're all in the flesh. And when you don't, we, we're perfect in Christ. Our spirit's been made perfect. We're seated in heavenly places, the Bible says. But here on this earth, we're still in the flesh, and we're still going to mess up. And we're still going to have times when we aggravate each other. But it's just as much how the person that's been aggravated, how they respond as much as the other person. If you've gone to them and you talk to them and they say, you know what, I don't care. You know, maybe they're the ones that need to move on, not you. Just think about it like that. We're going to be practical this morning, amen? So the third source of opposition comes from the world because we're no longer in the world. The world's our enemy, and we are an enemy to the world. I, I think of the outside sources, you know. Uh, I'm not going to mention them. But it, uh, we have to be in this world. We have to follow the world's rules, you know. We have to, we have to exist here. But there's going to be opposition coming from these three different places. You've got the devil that stirs things up in your heart. You've got your flesh that fights against you. And you've got the world. 
Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in, the glo- save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Uh, you know, Paul also said, I die daily. You know, it's, it's giving up yourself. It's pride that gets in the way a lot of times. It's pride that makes you want to stand up to somebody. It's pride that makes you want to stick it to somebody else. All right. So one of the ways, let's look at this, look at uh, 12 and 13 here. And we'll see the first way we can stay together. We can keep things together as the body of Christ. It said, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, vows of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And the key is in that last part. And that's by putting on Christ. He says, put on therefore this, the elect of God. And he gets down there and he says, uh, uh, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. When we, I, I think of the parable of the, the man that was forgiven his debt, and then he goes out and throttles a guy that owes him money. Jesus paid our debt, our sin debt. We did enough to die in the lake of fire. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Now, a lot of times it's used as a guilt trip, right, to, to pull you into doing things. But it is a fact that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he loved you enough to die for you. And yet... We let our pride and we let our passions get in the way when we're the other people. Is anybody getting nervous thinking I'm talking about somebody? I don't have a scope on my Bible this morning. I'm shooting with a shotgun. So if your phone's ringing, just answer it. See how many metaphors I can squeeze in there? All right. Paul told us to put on, excuse me. Paul told us to put on vows of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, All these things that we're to put on are found in Jesus. He's merciful over there in Jude 21. He's kind. He humbled his mind. And he's meek and he's long-suffering. And Jesus did all of that for us. When he stood, he he, uh, opened not his mouth. He went as a sheep to the slaughter. In Romans 13, 14, Paul said, Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We put ourselves aside. It's like we told the fellows on Monday night. You don't, you don't come to him and say, this is what I got for you. Humble yourself before him. And it takes a little humility. It took some humility to go and talk to that pastor's wife. And uh, it was worth it. Because, you know, I didn't finish that story. But, you know, I wasn't the only one that she managed to aggravate and I think it was because she was so concerned about things doing right. And uh, when I stepped back and I looked, you know, in a church, one of the hazards is, is volunteer work. And uh, let me tell you something. A lot of people, when they volunteer to do something, just having volunteered in their mind should be enough for you to be grateful. <laughs> it's kind of like volunteering to paint. Man, I get all these memories. I remember in the Navy on the Caribbean, we went to an AIDS colony, or we called it that. But they, 
the, the people there had AIDS. You know, everybody was separated at that time. And we went there and we painted. Now, you know, in the Navy, you learn a little bit about painting. You get an idea about what will stick and won't stick. And when we were out there, we painted all them little houses they had. And these are just little huts like. But we painted them all in a day. And I can tell you, it probably wasn't on there after the first rain. You know, and a lot of volunteers are like that. They'll say, well, you know, I, I, it's free. The labor's free. What are you going to complain about? I don't even know why I'm going down this trail now. <laughs> Maybe it just needs to be said. It's free. What are you going to complain about? It's like at some point, we'd be better off if you didn't volunteer. You know, and I'm just saying in general, in a, in a church area, you know, it's, sometimes it, it's less if somebody doesn't do something than if they do it, and then you got to fix it. Miss Gay, I'll open the floor. I mean, you got a serious look on your face. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just remembering this. The come out of my mouth. Miss Gay is my filter. She can't always stop me. I remember one time I was saying something, and she's back there. <laughs> but Paul said, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And uh, in Ephesians 4, 21 to 24, it says, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in, Christ, in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And this is in the context of your old man, shuck that aside. We're to put on Christ. If we're to stay together as a church, we need to put on Christ, put on his humility, put on his attitude toward us. He died for us. We should be willing to die for one another. Amen. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, see, it, that's one of the things I think about with those young men. They're going to church. They don't have to, you know, at the jail. But they're making a choice. They want to leave the old man behind. They want to step into a new life in Christ. They're right there at the edge. They know what that life cost them, the former life. They know what trouble it got them into. You don't have to tell them that. You know, well, you messed up and now you're here and I, they don't need it. They know it. <laughs> Unless they're coming at you saying, well, I've never messed up. And Okay. As you look at the cell block. But I didn't hear any of that. I heard men that wanted, to, I saw men that wanted to know the Lord, that wanted to step into a new life. As Christians, we should be willing to Put, it, put off the old man and put on Jesus Christ. And our fellowship is in Christ. Amen. When you put on Christ as you put on the new man, all these wonderful traits of the Lord Jesus Christ become apparent in your life. All those fruits of the spirit by walking in the spirit, by putting on Christ, by abiding in Christ. These are all sermons I love to do. But y'all have heard them before. Just put all that together. Putting on Christ. It's when you abide in Christ, when you stay with Christ, that the good fruit comes in your life. Galatians chapter number 5. You can look over in there if you want to. I think it's around verse 23, verse 22. You can look in there when you got time. The fruits of the Spirit, nine fruits. 
That comes not because you produce it, not because you work, but because you abide in Christ and you stay in his word. You stay in God's word, it's going to clean you up. If you stay in God's word, you're going to hit that crossroad and you're going to have the choice. I can do this or I can do this. Well, God's word says this. I'm going this way. But if you hadn't touched your Bible in, in a year, you get at that crossroad and the only one that's been talking to you is the devil. And he'll, he'll help you rationalize it. And you'll be like Eve. Behold, it looks good for food. <laughs> It'll be all right. Thou shalt not surely die. All right. Forbearing one another, Colossians 3.23, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also, or Colossians 3.13, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. In him you can forbear one another and forgive one another. The closer you walk to Christ, the more forgiveness you have in your heart. It'll give you a new set of eyes, too, when you look at someone. Because you, you begin to not see, not so much what they've done, or if they're lying to you, or if they're still doing drugs, or, and you know, I'm getting a little specific here, but when you look at them, you begin to see another issue. When you're abiding in Christ, you begin to see the issue is a heart issue. All that lying and all that, that's coming from an evil heart, a wicked heart. It's from what's inside. We all have that inside. But it's Christ which cleans you up. You see a lack of Christ in their life. What does that do for your attitude? You want to get them closer to the Lord. All right. So by putting on Christ, and the next thing we can do is putting on charity. In Colossians 3.14, he says, And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Paul said, above all these things, he knew that charity is the bond of perfectness. Charity keeps marriages together and families together. And what is charity? Now, a lot of you will go to 1 Corinthians 13 in your new versions, and you'll say, well, that's love. And it is, but today's world's corrupted love. I'm going to tell you, go back to King James. Get mad at me. But go back to King James think about charity. What is charity? Charity is what you're doing with the shoeboxes. You're giving something to somebody that they can't give back. And that, you know, love, we, we get return on that or whatnot, but charity is given without expecting back. So I just like to leave the word there. He says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. Why? Because it's not expecting anything back. You're giving to it, giving it to them. Charity never faileth, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phrase this a little differently. You know, when you give something with an expectation of return, you're often disappointed. Right? But when you give and you have no expectation of return, 
Are you ever disappointed? So if you're not disappointed, you can suffer long with somebody. In other words, you can have patience with people because you weren't expecting anything in return in the first place. It's kind of like the homeless guy on the side of the road. I told myself a long time ago, this doesn't mean I stop and give everybody money. But I told myself a long time ago, if the Lord moves it on my heart or if it's, you know, there's that five and the Holy Spirit says there's that five, whatever it is, this is just a small example. You can expand this as big as you want. And that man comes up to the window, and I hand it to him, and, and the flush says, he's going to go get drunk with that. Well, $5, I don't know how. But especially, if, I guess it's just stupid. But uh, I'm, I keep watching Miss Gay. <laughs> She's my speedometer. <laughs> but you go to give it to him, and, and you, you, the flesh says, well, he's going to do something with that, or you're just enabling them. But then the Spirit says, I told you to give it to them. And you got to realize that, you know, sometimes God will give something to somebody and he uses that as a testimony against them or for them, what they do with it. And so when I hand it out that window, once it goes into their hand, that's between them and God, what they do with it. I've thought about that before. When I've seen people lying straight to my face and I've still handed them money, and I know they're lying. But God told me to do it. So I give them, give it to them. Lord, it's between you and them. What they do with it is what they do with it. This morning when we were in Sunday school, we went to Ezekiel chapter number three, remember? And he said, if I tell you to warn him, and I remember this is a devotional aspect, just getting back to the lesson a little bit. This is just a devotional aspect. If I tell you to warn him and you don't warn him, his blood will I require at your hand. I don't know how that would work, but devotionally when you give it to them, they're responsible the outcome. It's the same when you give them the gospel. It's the same when you help somebody out. It's the same when you just have a conversation with somebody and they're lying to you. Some people will climb a tree to tell a lie rather than stand on the ground and tell the truth. I like what Brother Johnny said. He used to come here. He said, he said that person and the truth ain't too close of friends. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> but Putting on Christ, putting on charity. Peter said in uh, 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So as we're dealing, as we're keeping the body together, it's having charity for one another. There's times when you give and you don't expect back. I, I, know, I know as a preacher, there's times, and, and I'm going to say this, nobody here, but there's times when people tell me, I... I I'm going to be there, but then they don't come, or I'm, you know, and I know in their heart they want to. And uh, it's, it's far enough into the hour now, I had a fellow tell me, yeah, I'm going to be there Sunday. You know, the flesh wants to go back to my days working the car lot. Just look for the blue man standing on the porch because I'll be holding my breath waiting on you. <laughs> but the spirit says, pray for him because the devil's going to do everything in the world keep him out. So y'all just pray for him. And when he comes, I won't tell you who he is unless he tells you himself. One preacher said that charity is the mortar that holds the stones of the building together. We, you can, you're all built as lively stones, amen? But without that mortar holding you together, it's just stones getting knocked over and a church getting torn apart. 
I keep hitting on it. Maybe the Lord's steering me away from it. But when I go back to that church and I go back to having talked to the pastor's wife and having cleared that and having seen her heart when she cried, not because we wanted to make her cry, but because it was in her heart. She didn't realize what she had done and she, she didn't want to hurt somebody. But there were other people that didn't go and talk to her and I couldn't go talk to them, her for them. But there were other people that didn't. The church ended up having a split. And there were some nasty things said back and forth, you know. And it, it hurts people. It hurts the kids. It hurts the weaker members. And it just hurts everybody all together. We want to try to keep together as a church body. All right? Um, so we want to keep together by putting on Christ, by putting on charity, by letting the peace of God rule in your hearts. Look at uh, verse number 15. Verse number 15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, for the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. My grandfather used to say, the main thing is not to get excited. And I, I think about that. I won't go too far down the road, but it, there, there ain't a lot I got to hold on to from my grandfather, but that was one of the things, and I've taught my kids, main thing is not to get excited. And it's applied in all kinds of situations. When somebody upsets me or when, I'm, uh, when I've been pulling up floor matting or something and, and cut my finger or, and I wanted to throw or working on a car and bust your knuckles and you want to throw the wrench across the room, it's just kind of main thing is not to get excited. Letting the peace of God rule in your heart. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 4.3. He said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The devil in your flesh will try to keep things riled up. The world keeps you riled up by being contrary to God and by agitating you with his words. And you can get on Twitter, you can get on social media, you can get worked up. And it'll keep you riled up, politics and all of that. And there's a lot to complain about now. There's all. I'm just kidding. But... Keeping the peace of God in your heart. The world keeps you riled up. Peace overrides all these agitators. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Maintaining peace. Not getting excited, but trusting in Christ. When the, the closer you get to Christ, you maintain peace in your life. Not the peace that the world gives, but the peace that Christ gives, that peace that passeth all understanding. When we let that kind of peace rule in our hearts, we had no trouble keeping the body together. Amen? So keeping the body together by putting on Christ, by putting on charity, and then by letting the word of Christ dwell in you. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart. So when we get together as a body, one of the principal things we're involved in is the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And, and, and I got to say, just as a side note, Sunday school's been getting good. If you've been missing out on that, if you thought it was too dry or too dead before, come on now, we're having a good time. Matter of fact, you probably need a... Uh, some floaties to get in the pool with us. But it'll be all right. You open up God's word. You know, we can gather as a church and we can get up here and preach and we can give motivational sermons and this is almost kind of one. 
Well, we can, we can, a preacher can get up here and he can make you feel good about things and just talk about going grocery shopping and talk about building his new house and all that or whatever. We can talk about all those things, but let me tell you something. If we don't open up God's word, it's nothing. You know, one of the, one of the things about the jail is, uh, and, and I say this not because it's anything about me, but I went back there with a couple guys, and I wanted to go back there with more, you know, different weeks and see the different preachers and how they went back there in there in the uh, cell block. And uh, one thing I noticed, and this isn't, this isn't to get on or to be more special or anything, but one thing I noticed is one guy was in the Word. The, the, the Word of God comes out of him. Amen. They're preaching the word of God, but they're they're preaching on. When I went back there, all I know to do is go into the Bible and show you here, 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 here. That's all I know to do. I just I can't get up and preach on something random for y'all might disagree today. But I can't get up and preach on something random for an hour and a half. You know, I just have to be in the Bible. And uh, that was. That didn't even round up good. Let me just tell you the rest of it. Uh, I was talking to Rusty yesterday, Rusty Karn, and he told me he had talked to Pastor Dowdy, the chaplain, and uh, he said, I don't know why he had to go back there with other people. He said, he's the one we ought to be sending back to train other people. <laughs> and and that wasn't, I'm not telling you this to make me space. It's just all I know to do is give the word of God, you know? That's just all. And it's God's word that does the change in people's life. And we're talking about by letting the word of Christ dwell in you. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So when we get together as a body, we, we teach the word of God and we preach the word of God. The word of God is to thrust, is to stab you in the heart and make you want to change and, and steer you closer to God. Paul told Timothy to preach the word. He said, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrines. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, <clears throat> but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, telling you what you want to hear, being able to gauge the audience and, and tickle your ears. He's saying to preach, it's going to hurt. It's exhorting you to change. There's a, there's a a requirement to change your direction and is rebuking you when you've been out of line. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. <coughs> and when the word is preached and then it dwells in your heart, excuse me a minute. There's just no smooth way to do that. And when the word is preached and then it dwells in your heart richly in all wisdom, it performs a miraculous work of transforming you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I've told you all the illustration before. You know, the man went to the preacher and he said, well, you know, when it comes to reading the Bible, what do I read? I think it was R.A. Torrey he went to. And he said, he said, pick a chapter, read it, and then read it again. Read it several times a day. And he started doing that. When he saw him again, he said, he told his wife, he said, 
look at this. I've, you know, he'd break down cry, crying when he was reading. He said, look at this chapter. This one chapter in my Bible is all torn up and dirty. She said, yeah, but your life's been getting cleaner as you've done it. You know, paper is paper, but is it doing something to your life? I've seen people that had so much reverence for the Word of God, they didn't want to disturb the pages. Amen? I'd rather see a worn-out Bible that's in your heart that's been transferred into there. You can always get, well, always. Right now, you can get another Bible just about anywhere. But it's not going to do you any good if you're not putting it into your heart. Letting the word of Christ dwell in you, and I lost my page. So when we get in, uh, over in 1 Corinthians 8, no, not that one. So it's by putting Christ in your charge, putting, putting on Christ. How do we keep together as a church? By putting on Christ, by putting on charity, by letting the word of Christ dwell in you. And by singing with grace in your hearts. Watermelon, watermelon. But you know, the hymns, and I know they're old, and I know they've been sung many times. But let me tell you something. When you start taking those hymns to heart and you start reading the words, that's what we want. You know, we're not getting up here to entertain ourselves because we're doing a poor job of it. We could do a lot better job throwing in a CD, amen? I mean, let's just face it, as small as we are, I mean, it's just hard to kick a tune. But when that tune's in your heart, it doesn't matter. I tell you what, I remember at Calvary Baptist, there was one woman that sang, and she kind of sang in that, I, I, I don't know, she was classically trained, but when it came out, it seemed like it came out of the back of her throat. You all know what I'm talking about? That was when I learned what pin your ears back meant. I see, y'all just, not a lot of country out here, is there? I heard somebody say, yeah, you listen to her, she'll pin your ears back. I learned what it meant when she was up there singing because Brother Grady let her get up there and sing, and she's singing from the back of her throat, kind of an opera kind of thing, and it's coming out, and it just, it hurt to hear. All right, let's be honest. Some of the singing hurts to hear. But let me tell you something. There's some singing that if you rated it, it would hurt to hear. But when you see the joy on their face when they're singing about their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when they're singing about what God did for them, I tell you what, there's nothing better. I would take that over anybody that could carry every tune and tune every note while they're singing and change keys and everything. I would take, I would take a woman getting up there or a man getting up there and just breaking your ears. There was one King James Jubilee, and Matt was there. We just saw it on the film. Guy got up there, and uh, how do I say it nicely? He was slower. I don't know how else to say it. He just didn't have the same uh, mental capacity. I, I don't know if he'd been injured when he was young or what. But let me tell you what happened at this meeting. Everybody was singing, and and he was up there singing, and, and man, it hurt to hear. But let me tell you something. That whole church, and it was a big one, that whole church broke down crying because he was singing about his Lord and Savior, and you could see his heart. Let me tell you something. You worry about how you sound, and I worry about it up here. I always, I'm always afraid my, my, Matt's going to turn up the microphone on me. 
Sometimes I'm watermeloning. But when you, when you read those words and you hear them, and I'll tell you, and Miss Maxine knows my favorite song, Victory in Jesus, you know. I heard an old, old story about a Savior came from glory. I don't know if I can remember all the words right this man on demand, but I just I sing about I sing about the streets of gold, you know, and just victory in Jesus. And that's where our victory, man, it gets in your heart. Brethren, we have met to worship. You know, can you see our fathers and our brothers and our mothers sinking down, you know, leading people to the Lord? And just think about what the song says. Don't get caught up in whether there's a a rock and roll beat or whether there's an electric guitar or whether it's perfectly tuned. Listen to the words and look for someone's heart. I've seen a woman get up there and sing, and man, it just sounded beautiful, but she just so much, so much self-centeredness about it. Everybody's here to hear me. And I, I remember, uh, I'm carrying this on, but I'm going to tell you all this anyway. I remember an old couple, Carolyn and Barbara uh, Rose. I, I think that was her name. Their last name was Rhodes. He played the piano and she sang. And she wasn't a small woman. And uh, she reminded me of my Bama, my great-grandmother. She would, except she could walk around. But she'd get up there and she would sing and man, she'd just smile and raise her voice up to heaven, you know. I got their CD at one of the revival meetings. I got home, I put it in. I'm like, ooh, what happened here? Because <laughs> I didn't hear any of it. All I could see was her heart singing to the Lord. Have I made that point clear? By singing with grace in your hearts, by putting on Christ, by putting on charity, by letting the word of Christ dwell in you, and by singing with grace in your hearts. When we get together, singing with grace in your hearts. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing them with grace in our hearts to the Lord. We all lift our hearts in praise to the Lord just like the angels do in heaven. Christ is exalted among us. We're the one. We are one because we are all singing the same thing at the same time to the same person. That's the way to look at it. And our hearts retain these hymns of praise. They keep us singing as we go. So, there'll be times, when, as you learn those hymns, they'll come to you, you'll start singing those instead of singing that catchy beat you just heard. So, by putting on Christ, by putting on charity, by letting the word of Christ dwell in you, by singing with grace in your hearts, by giving thanks to God. Look at verse number 17. It says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I want to add that in too, doing all to the Lord Jesus. Whatsoever you do, do as unto the Lord, knowing that of him you receive your reward. You're not doing it for other people. And it takes you right back to charity, doesn't it? So giving thanks to God the Father. It's remarkable what having thanks, or what giving thanksgiving does for you. You know, we just finished up Thanksgiving week. We know that God appreciates our thanksgiving, and it's the will of God to thank God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. However, when we're all thankful, our whole attitude in life changes. You know, when I was in the Navy, I guess I was a professional complainer because they paid me and I did a lot of complaining. 
I'd gripe about everything. And you think it makes you feel good, but it eats you out from the inside. Amen. But when you start thanking God for what he's done, and then you got to go all the way back to the source sometimes. Lord, thank you for saving me. You know, Lord, I, I remember that time I could have been dead. I remember that time you stopped me from going on whatever trip or whatever happened in your life. Lord, I remember. And you go back to that because you may be in the middle of the muck and mire right now. But you start thanking the Lord for what he's done for you. And let me tell you something, it changes your outlook on what he's going to do for you. It changes your outlook on your situation. You know, we were in a tight spot that time. I remember that. But you did get us out of that, Lord. I remember that. You know, we're in a tight spot now, but I know you'll deliver us. Time and time again, God reminded them in the Old Testament. He said, I'm the one that delivered you out of Egypt. I'm the one that fed you in the, in the wilderness. You know, and he reminded them all through the Old Testament. They even, even into the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, they were even to remind them what he'd done for them. Isaiah the prophet would remind them what he had done for them. Give thanks to God for what he's done for you. I mean, give thanks that we got a Bible we can read. Otherwise, we'd be listening to some man that says he knows the answer. It's amazing to me the people that will reject the Bible, but they'll sit there and listen to a man that tells them, hey, Elbop's Comet's coming and we're going to ride the tail. Y'all know what I'm talking about, some of you. There's some crazy things out there, but people will reject the Bible, but they'll listen to a man sit up there and lie to their face the whole time. And they'll give more credence to that than a book that's 2,000 years old that's been handed down from age to age. You would think by now that one group would say, you know what, this, this ain't working out too well. As they're on the rack and they're getting tortured because they're keeping to a doctrine or because they're, because they're suffering in the world or because they're going through trials and temptations. Because let me tell you something, you draw close to the Lord, you're going to face trials and temptations because the devil can't get you. But he can keep you from doing things for the Lord. So you would think people would reject the Bible over time. And some people do. But somehow God's word keeps coming down and it keeps changing lives, keeps changing lives. My King James Bible is 400 years old. Yeah, I know they've changed some spellings. But 400 years of that Bible has been changing lives. There's been revivals that have come out of that. There's been drunks that have gone back to their families. There have been killers on death row that have turned their life over to the Lord. There's one of them on the phone. When I talked to the Gideons, there's a fellow Clint. He was on death row. And he, he, he got saved, but he also got delivered <laughs> off of death row. Now they're trying to pull him back in, but he's saved. Doesn't matter what happens. And it wasn't saved, being saved that got him off of death row. He got saved because he wanted to be saved, because he wanted the Lord to save him. He knew what he did wrong. And that's one of the things I, I like about the jail. They know they did something wrong. But there's a lot of people out here that are Christians that are going to church, and they don't, they don't think they did anything. God wants you honest. However, when we're thankful, our whole attitude in life changes. We overlook the distressing things, the sad things, the troubling things, and the scary things. It's like riding that roller coaster. Man, this is bad. I know how it's rough right now. I know it looks rough, but I know God's got me. I know I'm in God's hands. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How can you lose out there? The worst thing that can happen to you is death, and that's the best thing that can happen to you. How do you lose out there? 
There might be a little pain in between, but how can you lose out when to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Now, this is the kind of stuff that keeps a church together, not the bickering over things, not the, not the arguing, not the worrying about the paint, not the worrying about the light bulbs in the church, or we're not worrying about what this and that, but when everybody is doing these things, when they're, when they're putting on Christ, when they're putting on charity, when they're letting the word of God dwell in them, when they're singing with grace in their hearts toward God, and when they're giving thanks to God, these are the things that keep a church together. So we instead magnify our God when we give thanks and draw close to him in praise, hearing others praise the Lord for the good things he has done in their lives, reminds us that he's been doing good things in our lives as well. Now, I get a little nervous when, and I don't know why, it may be my carnal flesh when someone walks around and you say hello and they say, or you say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm richly blessed and highly favored. It, somehow it just makes me feel awkward. Because I didn't think at first, I was just thinking, well, how's your day? You know, how are you doing? And, and so don't be false about it, but think about what God did for you. It doesn't mean that you have to have it on your lips all the time, but think about what God's done for you. The Lord is good to his body. Paul said, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord cherisheth the church. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, when it talks about the husband and the wives, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Imagine that. Christ set that, set that precedent. And how he wants you to love your wife is how he already loves the church. Amen. So the Lord loves the body of Christ more than anything else in this world. If you're not a member of his body, you can't be today by trusting Jesus Christ. You can be a part of the body of Christ, but it's only through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, you can pretend to do all this stuff. And you can say, well, I got peace in my heart. You know, I'm remembering what Brother Keith said. Grandfather, you say, main thing is not to get excited. You can do all that stuff. That won't, that won't do you a bit of good as far as being in the body of Christ or as far as being in the church body. Let me keep it, let me keep it straight. As far as being in the church body until you're in the body of Christ and you get in the body of Christ by having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because without him, without a relationship, with God's son, all this is just a motivational speech. All this is just to tell you how to have your best life now. And that's a waste of time because your best life is in eternity with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Do you know him? Will you stand today?